that talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Thursday Buckeye Talk. We're talking offensive line. We're just saying, hey, this is going to be good. It's going to be good. We'll see if we can live up to how good uh, the four offensive linemen and Greg Studrawa were because uh, they were good. We enjoyed the conversation we had with them Wednesday morning. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. And we're going to dive right in on the Paris Johnson plan. And I, we all have been sort of fascinated by the Paris Johnson plan since it was hatched, which is him not playing guard or him not playing tackle this year, him playing guard. So I asked Greg Stradrawa, did you think about maybe moving one of the experienced tackles, Nicholas Petit Frere or Thayer Munford to guard instead? We talked about, you know, what Paris Johnson kind of had in his head, but Nathan, I will say coming out of it, I really thought at a time, I really thought that there really might be a compelling case for moving one of the veteran tackles to guard, put Paris at his natural position, like move the veteran, don't move the young guy, right? But Greg Stoudrawa did say, oh yeah, I did think about it, right? That he did, it wasn't an automatic move, but the way he explained it, I buy it. I buy like it's, it's what a problem to have. You have three awesome tackles, but I buy their solution. I think they put good thought into it. It feels like everybody is on board, and I think it is going to work. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that Greg Sadrawa specifically mentioned the quarterback situation, protecting the young quarterbacks as being part of the reason why he thinks that leaving Munford and Nicholas Petit-Frere at the tackles makes the most sense. He said, um, th- those two kids, their ability to bend, their quickness and their agility, allowing them to get into that um, spot without changing the edge protection for our young quarterbacks. I guess he's talking about um, Paris Johnson and, and whoever else ends up at, at guard. But just saying that, that they have guys who are flexible enough to go inside that you could, you don't have to compromise that 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 wall that you're putting up on the edge. I thought that was something I think we had brought up earlier as, as when we were having discussion, right? Like there's the fact that you have a freshman back there as opposed to maybe having a third year Justin Fields back there. Should that affect the decision that you're making at all about how you set up your offensive line? And it seemed like Greg Strajawa, maybe he's using it as an excuse after the fact or just to, to rationalize. I don't know, but he's saying that that was at least a part of his thinking here. I, I don't buy a lot of what people say, right? But I, I don't think that was a after the fact rationalization. That makes sense to me. And Steven, like I like talking about, well, our offensive line decision isn't necessarily an offensive line decision. It's a quarterback decision, right? That like you're tying all this stuff together and it goes all the way back. I remember very specifically, and this actually might've been a post after the post de facto, I was going to say, is that a word? This might've been a rationalization to get to do what you wanted to do. But in 2008, when Jim Trestle went from Todd Beckman to Terrell Pryor after they got blown out at USC. And that was the changing of the guard at quarterback. And they went to a freshman quarterback. They had some injuries on the offensive line at that point, And they actually shuffled the offensive line at the same time. Like Jim Cordell, I think might've gone from center to tackle and they had some stuff to deal with. And part of the rationalization from Jim Trestle of why they went to Pryor was our offensive line is kind of a mess right now. And we need a quarterback who can move and like can evade pressure. And it was like, listen, everything connects. Steven, I buy it. I buy it. Like, hey, we're going to be playing a quarterback who has never done this. You know, the best way we can help him by having two tackles who have done it. And we're not going to mess with that. 
Yeah, and I think one Paris, uh, his answers today were very mature about the whole situation, but also his breakdown of the difference between guard and tackle. With tackle, you're on an island, and so as a first-year starter, I mean, we saw the bumps and bruises that Harry Miller had to go through. Imagine if he was going through those bumps and bruises while being on an island by himself and maybe giving up a couple of sacks as well. While on the interior, you know, you've got help sometimes from the tackle you're with. You've got help from the center. The center Sometimes you're helping the center. It's more of a collaborative effort. And so maybe it makes – even we think Paris is going to be awesome, but just in case he has some of those early season bumps and bruises that we saw with Harry Miller, it's less of a cost because the experience is still right next to him and, and Nicholas Petit Frere. I think Paris Johnson's bumps will be smaller and shorter than yeah. most people's bumps. But I do think it would be silly to say he would have zero bumps. Again, I mean, I'm just an old person telling stories. You know, Taylor Decker getting smoked by Khalil Mack early in his career is like, okay, it doesn't mean Taylor Decker's not good. It means that you haven't done this before. And sometimes when you haven't done it, you play guys who have done it and it's not even about like getting the quarterback hurt it's just about that quarterback who has never done it like going to the line of scrimmage and it's like okay well you know the the first time tackle kind of got beat a couple plays ago what's going to happen now like he is just fair Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere are going to be his best friends and I had previously Nathan thought about this I was thinking about the young player I was thinking about Paris Johnson. Like, listen, these tackles have shown what they can do. Let's start the clock on this guy being a tackle because we it's fair to him to play two years at tackle. It's good for the team, but it's fair to him, right? But that would be in conflict with the other young player. And so what, what triggered this for me is it wasn't a decision about like what's best for the old guy versus what's best for the young guy. It's there are two young guys at stake here a second year player on the offensive line and a second year quarterback. And they had to protect the quarterback first. And that means Paris Johnson has to sacrifice. And maybe we did talk about that to some degree, Nathan, but that is not how I had thought about it. But when you put it that way, I am in total agreement where before I wasn't in total agreement. And again, I think you, you hit on a, a smart thing, too, which is that when we talk about protecting the quarterback, I think people automatically assume that it's preventing the sack that hurts him. But really, it's about more about just keeping the offense on schedule. I mean, giving the quarterback this this brand new quarterback more opportunity to make the correct decision, not having to have a guy in his face or having fewer guys in his face when he has to make decisions. I think that's what it comes down to. Um, it, certainly protecting them is, it, it physically is, is also part of it, but just kind of giving this offense more of a chance to succeed on every single snap involves putting those two guys on the edges. I, I, that has always kind of made sense to me. I mean, I don't know if we articulated it quite that way, but it, 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 that always seemed like this, if, if, if <laughs> this offense with Paris Johnson Jr. at guard and those guys at tackles, is going to be better than if Thayer Munford had left and you had Paris Johnson left tackle and somebody else at guard. Like that's always made sense to me. And so, I mean, to me, it's like Munford and Petit Frere are A's. Like they got A's last year and now they're taking the advanced class and they're still going to get A's. I really think like the first snap that Paris Johnson takes in his life at tackle in college, he might be an A minus like on the first snap, but an A minus still isn't as high as an A. And like he might be an A. By week three, but the other guys are A's 
and an A plus by the end of the season. But the other guys are A's right now. Mm-hmm. So why are we messing with A's right now? If your quarterback was Justin was Justin Fields, I think maybe you would mess with the A's because it's like, listen, it's gonna be an A minus. Justin's fine. And it might be an A plus by the end of the year. And also it's kind of fair to the young guy. But I'm all in on this. But I thought, Stephen, the thing you said about Paris, and I asked him specifically, like, did you think you'd be a tackle sophomore year? And he was honest. Uh, can, can you, I mean, nobody's claiming Paris Johnson because Paris Johnson belongs to everyone. It would not sure. be fair. That's Frankly, true. Garrett Wilson should also belong to everyone, but we've allowed Stephen Means to claim him. But Thank like, you. we're not going to let that happen with Paris Johnson. He is mature. He is skilled. He is a great athlete and he was honest and he did not try to mumbo jumbo it. I said, like, did you kind of look at the depth chart and think you'd be a starting tackle as a sophomore? And Steven, like, he was like, yeah, I did. He looked at the depth chart. And so this is not his plan. And I would, I love the answer because it's not just like, well, you never know. You can't make, I mean, people always make plans. His plan changed which even gives me more respect for the fact that he is going right along with it i mean the plan that started as a sophomore a year ago we were talking to this guy for the first time as an actual buckeye saying hey do you think you can win the job as the right tackle and beat out another five star who was the number one tackle in his class that was the conversation a year ago uh but i think but you and also bill asked an interesting question as well putting the, the financial the nfl aspects into this and how you know left tackles get paid more all that stuff and you saw Paris start chuckling a little bit as bill was asking the question and another mature answer i think what he's going to be able to show this year is that he's he's versatile because he put it quite quite frankly unless you're a veteran guy in the nfl you don't just get to walk into somewhere and go i'm gonna be a left tackle you know, they might move you around depending on what. Now, he's probably going to be a left tackle. But the fact that you're coming up with a mature answer like that, and you're looking at it from that aspect and not just getting an attitude because you're not playing left tackle as a sophomore shows that level of maturity that he has and looking at the bigger picture. And actually, it's not true. Like, if you're really good, it's not true. I mean, like Jedrick Wills walked right in and the Browns right. took him 10. They're not playing him at guard. Yeah. I mean, like Makai Becton, the Jets aren't playing Makai Becton at card. Joe Thomas, when the Browns took him number three in the draft, it would have been malpractice. But if you're like a top 15 pick, you do walk in and play tackle. That's mm-hmm. what you're supposed to do. Now, if you're not quite that, then versatility is wonderful. If you're a second round pick, great. If you don't work out a tackle, we can play you at guard. Nobody thinks he's going to be that, Paris included. So it was a great answer by him. But honestly, I mean, but the other honest answer is it's not helping It's not. It would be better for him, for his future, to play tackle right now. That's not in dispute. It's not the end of the world that he's playing guard. So, But the versatility thing, when you're elite, you don't have to be versatile. You can just be you. Because nobody ever says, well, versatile is if it doesn't work out, right? It's good for us to be versatile. Listen, if this writing thing doesn't work out, at least you can be on a podcast, right? But... You know, Ernest Hemingway didn't have to be on a podcast. Nobody ever said to him, Ernest, could you text? And he was like, I'm not versatile. I just do one thing. I write about old men and rowboats and the sea. And that's it. No text, no podcast. Paris Johnson, who also is a journalist, is Ernest Hemingway. Paris Johnson is not Nathan Baird. No offense, Nathan. So people like us need to be versatile. But I like the fact that he said it 
I like the fact that he said it, but I don't want to diminish the fact that he is sacrificing. Nathan, it's for the team. He doesn't have a choice, right? What's he going to do, transfer? I mean, like he, he doesn't have a choice, but that does not change the fact that it is a sacrifice. It's not what he planned. It's for the good of the team, and it's why I like Paris Johnson even more today, and I liked him a lot before. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this sort of thing before, and for me it's always been, okay, sure, if you were playing left tackle, it would be better for him individually as far as developing himself into left tackle for the next level. But I also don't think – I think there's a very thin line there because I don't think that him playing guard this year necessarily means he'll be less of a tackle down the road. You see what I'm saying there? Like I don't don't think those things are mutually exclusive. It doesn't help him, but it doesn't hurt him either in the long run. Because if he's – I mean, it hurts him a little bit. It hurts him a little. Why? If he, because if you do a thing, if you do the same thing for two years in a row, you're going to be better in year two than you would be in year one. He's going to do a similar thing next year, but he's not going to do the same thing. He's not going to be on an island blocking edge rushers. He's going to have one year of being on an island blocking edge rushers, which is how you make money as a tackle. That's what they pay you to do. He's not going to do that at all this year unless something changes. So he won't be, I'm not saying he won't be a first round pick, but I also guarantee it comes up in his draft analysis. Only played one year at tackle, whatever. But like, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean he can't be a first round pick. I don't know if there are, how many guys there are who are, now I'm going to, I think we've already, I think I've said this exact thing before in a podcast. I don't know how many first round tackles have been drafted in the last 20 years who only played one year of tackle in college. I bet you it is not a lot. Cause if you're good enough to go in the first round, you're probably good enough to start for more than one year, right? Even if you're at Alabama or Clemson or Oklahoma or Florida state at Ohio state, you're probably good enough to do that. He is good enough. He just doesn't get to. So, I mean, I, I agree. It's not going to ruin him, but People want to see you do the thing they're going to pay you to do as much as possible. He's going to have one year of tackle film. I, it, that's it, Nathan. It's at least 8% less ideal. I mean, I, I refuse to believe that like playing guard and then tackle is exactly as good for his pro prospects as two years of tackle. I don't know I, how you could say that. No, I, and I don't know that I am saying that, but I, I guess I am saying I don't know what goal he has that can't still be reached even though he's spending a year at guard. Be, be the third I, I pick agree. in the draft. Be the third pick in the draft, yeah. like Joe Thomas was. I, I, I will that agree that – yeah, I, I think it's still I, – I will agree, though. It's a conversation he's going to have when he goes around and talks to different GMs of why he, of the fact that he only has one year of tackle film. But also just the way we've talked about him and what we believe he'll be anyway, I think it's going to be a situation where, look how awesome he was, and he only got to do it for one year. No, I, I agree. I like we're not, we're not debating whether he's going to be good. We're all assuming he's going to be like the best tackle in football, <laughs> in college football, like the one year he plays the position. Uh, but I think, Nathan, I think you're, it's weird. How weird is it that he's this good and he's only going to play the position for one year? That's just still a little bit weird. And it is weird because weird, Thayer Munford's not supposed to be here, right? I mean, uh, weird things had to happen, but I, I just think it's – I think – uh, it's I think a little that, weird, but, but listen, let's make sure that we're putting in the right context, too, which I think that as, as dumb as some NFL draft evaluators are, I think they will put it in the right context, too, because they're going to look at and say he only played one year at tackle because these other two NFL guys who were, came out of the draft the year before 
were ahead of him. It's not going to be the same thing as Nicholas Petit Frere, who got to the end of last year and had a really good year, but only had one year because he couldn't beat out the guys in front of him who weren't really, who were borderline NFL players, if that. I think that's different, and I think it'll be looked at differently. I think if Paris Johnson comes out and is awesome as a guard, which he could be, and then is awesome again as a tackle, I don't really know that it's going to affect his draft status that much. I really don't. So we like Paris Johnson. I, I, uh, let's transition to Thayer now. Let's transition to Thayer because Thayer Munford is happy. He's so happy. It's so nice to see. His back was messed up, and Greg Stoudrawa explained it even more today, not that we didn't know it. He is so happy with his position in the world right now and that he's healthy and he had a great year last year, and you can just tell he's feeling good. And Nathan, he said he thinks he can be the best tackle in the country this year. And I think it's possible. Can I? I think he could be the best tackle in the country this year. I think he also could be the third best tackle on his own team. And the difference between those two things might be like 4% difference, right? That Because someone asked Nicholas Petit Frere about like, Hey, Nick, uh, what do you think Thayer Munford said? He thinks he could be the best tackle in the country this year. You think he can? And I thought Nicholas Petit Frere was going to be like, well, no, because I'm going to be, which would have been a completely reasonable answer for him to give. But what did you think of Thayer Munford? And we're not, I mean, Thayer Munford wasn't like staking his claim and being a jerk about it. He was showing confidence in himself, which was great to see because the guy has had some stuff he's had to deal with in his career at Ohio State. He really had a big time back injury and he's all the way back. Well, it, but it only came up because Greg Stoudrawa said it first. I thought Greg Stoudrawa like outed some kind of private conversation that they had had, putting that like on paper for themselves. But then Greg Stoudrawa comes and sits in front of a Zoom interview and says it. So then we obviously all have to ask Thayer Mumford about it later. So that's so Thayer Mumford was asked. Greg Stoudrawa thinks this. What do you think? And he's like, well, okay, since you're asking, yeah, I think I'll be the best tackle in the country. But and then what did he follow it up with by saying, I'm not satisfied where I am. I need to get better, all that sort of thing. So it, it wasn't like a big boastful thing. It wasn't him coming in and, and just slamming the mic down. It was, it, was, it was what you were saying, like that confidence. And I thought both him and Nicholas Petit Ferry, who we'll talk about later, um, I, I was intrigued by just what last year did for both of them as it relates to this year. Because I think it's one thing to have confidence in yourself and to think something is attainable for you. But then you go out and attain it. Like both of those guys graded from a lot of people, a lot of outlets graded them as good or better than most tackles in the country. And they're both coming back. So what do you, after you've had that level of success for a year, get to a national championship game, et cetera. Like what does that mean for your mindset coming into your senior year, your, or in their Munford's case is senior, senior year, second senior year, super senior year, whatever you want to call it. I feel like those guys could both be poised for another level just because they've they've set a new baseline for themselves and now you get these eight months to try to push yourself above that so i just i was thinking to myself we know that pff graded uh alave and wilson as the two best receivers in the country i was like oh they, they grade the tackles they do have the ranking of the top 10 returning college offensive linemen this is from february 9th uh number one is some center from iowa tyler linderbaum and thayer is second but Petit Fair is not in the top 10, which surprised me a little bit. Um, but I know nothing about tackles. So why would that be surprising? Yeah. And most of the people on that list might be left side and Petit Fair is a right side guy. I mean, a lot of it's grades. I, I know his grades were good, but. Um, I just mean, as far as the, how they end up doing these rankings, it's probably a bunch of left tackles. 
I don't know that that's true. I actually think it's not true. There's a couple guards in here. The guy, there's a Northwestern guy in there who, oh, okay. who's like a tackle. And I don't know. So the thing also that uh, I want to write about and I'm intrigued by, and I want to research a little bit. I think the idea is, I think I call it star blocking. And it's the idea that the Buckeyes have two second year five-star guys who were among the 10 best recruits in the country. And neither of them can start this year because they are blocked by like first round draft pick veterans. And that Paris Johnson and Julian Fleming are in the same boat here. And they were like, the two best players in the class. <laughs> yeah. And they're just <laughs> blocked. Like there's nothing right. Julian Fleming didn't do a ton last year. Right. And you could say, well, Jackson Smith, the Jigba did, and he's done this. And I guess if Julian Fleming, you know, whatever had 50 catches last year, yeah. somehow as a freshman, then maybe they'd move Garrett to the slot. and Julian Fleming would start. I don't know, but like really, and this is what happens. I understand this is what happens, but Steven, even though this is what happens at great programs, it also seems a little extreme to me that like Paris Johnson and Julian Fleming are just like, ah, sorry. Cause not only are they not just five stars, but they are among the top recruits that Ohio state's gotten in the last 10 years. And not only are they just blocked, but they're blocked by guys who are among the best in the country at their position. Yeah. I think what we saw within that 2020 class though, is a lot of, I don't want to say resetting, but just improvement in recruiting talent at those specific positions as well. I mean, when Paris Johnson was talking about, oh, yeah, I looked at the depth chart and I saw a clear way to the field. Well, uh, yes, Thera Mumford is back, but also, I mean, the offensive line recruiting has just improved since the day he committed, not the day he signed, but that he actually committed to Ohio state. There's been some improvement in the offensive line recruiting and the same that has thing. Nothing with, to do with why he's blocked. I mean, that's the topic we're going to cover. Right. That has nothing to do with why he's blocked. That's more of the reason why Julian Fleming is blocked at this point, because let's just say they didn't go get Jackson Smith, the Jigba, right. Who committed after, I mean, who committed before Julian Fleming did, but let's just say he doesn't exist. Then yeah, maybe they do just move Garrett Wilson back into the slot and Julian Fleming starts. Nathan, do you think it's crazy? Well, they're they're blocked in different ways. I mean, Julian Fleming is not nearly the same situation because there's a third receiver spot there for Julian Fleming to go win if he wants to win it. Um, you know, Paris Johnson is also different because he does get to start this year regardless of his at his position. So or his his preferred position, the position he's destined to play. So, uh, but I agree with the overall concept that this is. As much as we like kind of fur our brows about it and there's consternation on podcasts about it, it is a good problem to have at the end of the day. If you just got too much talent that um, you have to shoehorn some guys in and it actually makes your team better when you do it. uh, Who's complaining about that? The actual thing is they're both blocked by people we thought would be gone because, I mean, Julian Fleming was the road was the second was the number two guy behind Chris Olave, who we thought was going to leave and go be a first round draft pick. And then obviously their month situation is what it is. That's what this boils down to two players who were supposed to be gone are blocking are blocking the best two players in a 2020 recruiting class. Yes. That's what I meant. That's, okay. that's the thing. That's the crazy part of it that like, it's kind of unexpected. It's unplanned. Mm-hmm. It, it's not that the, the younger guys really necessarily did anything wrong. I guess Julian Fleming could have a little bit more, but it's like there's a, there's a collection of talent above them that also wasn't expected to be here. Uh, I think Ed Warner's feelings got hurt. Mm. 
Ed, I'm sorry. Ed Warner's feelings might have gotten hurt during the interviews on Wednesday. And we'll talk about why after this on Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, 614-350-3315 is how you can join the texts. And we have we heard uh, we didn't hear from the uh, winner yet. Did we anyone see? No, I, I haven't checked, but um, no, we'll get him on soon. We need we need a we need an idea for Friday. So text or what? I mean, if you're going to win the thing, you got to play on the show. Let's go. So congratulations. So Greg Sutrava was asked about what you said, Stephen, the idea that like the, the, the offensive line recruiting, they're, they're in a better spot than they were ago. And then, and then Greg Sutrava went into one of those of like, oh, when I got here, there was nobody in the room. And I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you from experience, if you criticize offensive line recruiting pre-stud at Ohio State, Ed Warner's feelings get hurt. And I think when he's driving around Florida now, he coaches at Florida Atlantic. And I know he listens to Buckeye talk. He's dry. I don't know that he's driving around recruiting. He might be listening. He might catch wind. So stud, you might get a little message. I might get a little message, but stud also had not done great for a class or two, or at least, you know, a couple misses here and there. But it is remarkable. And Nathan, at some point we're going to talk about, I would like us to come up with a pseudo depth chart because we've got a lot of info. It is a reminder, Nathan, not that we needed the reminder. Room's in good shape. Like, I don't know if we're going to do like a best rooms thing, but it's like we know what the receiver room's doing. Like this room is in pretty darn good shape at the moment. Well, yeah, I mean, I think we talked about that earlier this spring when we were kind of laying some things out and we were, it kind of dawned on us like, man, this is actually pretty, you, you're pretty confident, like too deep all the way across, I think right now with this offensive line or pretty close to it. And like, we're hearing some names now that I don't even know if we were really thinking about at that time. So like Josh Fryer is getting mentioned more for the, what he's getting to do, but even but guys like that and Luke Whipler, I mean, they're getting talked about in good ways. Dewan Jones, uh, before he apparently has been uh, banged up a little bit recently. That's why we didn't see him at practice the other day, but like those guys are really not in the best five conversation that everybody keeps happening. I don't think, I mean, I think that conversation is pretty well locked down depending on what happens with this uh, true freshman will come in later this summer. But I, I, I'm pretty confident that we know who those first five are, but they're, you're getting, you're hearing more and more guys talked about as being reliable for that second level down if they need to go to it. And Steven, you even brought up Donovan Jackson and I liked how you asked it. This is, this is a good. I like how you did it. You were like, uh, Greg, you know, uh, you had Harry Miller who was on Zooms a couple years ago, like learning as you knew, as you went. Are you doing that with John, Donovan Jackson? And also, can he start? And it was like, la da 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 you're crazy now. I mean, you know, but like even the idea, because the idea of it with all they have is kind of crazy, but by the way, that's how good Donovan Jackson is. Right. But just tell the good people kind of what they're doing with this guy who is probably, is he the highest rated recruit? And he's the highest. No, he, yeah, he's the highest rated. That's not here. And he's the highest rated guard Ohio state's ever had. He surpassed Wyatt Davis on that list. So what they are looping him in though. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, just to to preface this, back in 2019, 
Harry Miller did not early enroll. He decided to stay behind because he wanted to be a class valedictorian, which is an honorable thing to do, and it fits what Harry, Harry Miller is as a personality. But he was still heavily involved in everything that was going on in spring football, not on the field. So they had FaceTime because Zoom, I don't even think existed back then, but they would FaceTime call him when they were meeting in the uh, offensive line room. So that way, when he did get here in June, he at least from a classroom standpoint was caught up. And that allowed him to kind of – surpass some people end up being the number two center on the death chart when the season started they are doing the same greg strawa didn't have to do that i mean matthew jones is already here he was the number one center in his recruiting class he could have just did that they're doing the same thing with donovan jackson and as i was asking the question and kind of you know teeing up the can he start part of it greg strawa was already shaking his head at the idea that that's what they're doing with donovan jackson but yeah they meet with donovan jackson every time that they're in the meeting room. Donovan Jackson's on a Zoom call watching along with them and getting all of that teaching, all the development he can over Zoom so that when he gets here in June, he's already kind of caught up. So I would ex- I firmly expect him to make the two deep, even if he's not a starter. But had he early enrolled, just like last year with Paris Johnson, we were asking him a million questions of, hey, do you think you can be a starter as a true freshman? Donovan Jackson would have been getting that same treatment because he's that good if you go watch his film. All right, I want to talk about the interior of the line because the tackles are locked down. Paris Johnson's going to be a guard. But, Nathan, I, it, you were kind of saying, like, it does sort of feel like it's pretty locked in. I think we know who it's going to be. But I feel like the fact that, like, Harry Miller isn't practicing fully is making people ask questions like it's up in the air a little bit. And I was like, what, what are you asking about? What do you think you're asking about here? Because... I think we kind of all know what it's going to be. You know what I'm saying? Like, did you get that vibe a little bit? I did get that vibe. And Josh, um, sorry, sorry to say Josh Myers. Harry Miller is practicing. He's not practicing yeah. in full. He's not in contact drills. But and or we or he is doing those drills, but just not Touching having anybody. contact all the time. <laughs> and there are things he's not doing, I'm sure. But uh, I just don't. It would be it would shock me at this point, I think, if Harry Miller and Matt Jones were not the starters at the other two spots in the offensive line this fall. The only thing that would maybe throw that off is, as Stephen saying, if Donovan Jackson shows up and just blows the doors off the place, uh, that, that just seems like a big ask for a, a true freshman to come in in the summer and do that. For him to be a starting level player by the end of his freshman year, I could see that. Not that they, but just to be for a depth standpoint or emergency standpoint. Having him, I could see that. But as far as day one, I think we know who the five starting offensive linemen are. So I'm, I'm not, you know, all, all, um, ex- whatever to Luke Whipler and um, and Josh Fryer and Dewan Jones and Enoch Vamahi and whatever other name you want to throw in there. There's great depth in this offensive line room, but I think we know who the five guys are. It would be surprising. And 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 Greg Stradrava said that as much today too, right? Like he was kind of specifically asked about where Harry Miller fits in. He's like, well, I assume he's one of our top five. Yeah. So that was so, a good question. Whoever asked that, like, yeah, yeah, he's in the top five and Paris Johnson's definitely in the top five. And Matthew Jones is almost certainly in the top five. And I'm not sure like who would beat him out. So there it is. And then the only thing would be, as we sort of discussed before, if somehow Matt Jones gets so comfortable at center, they leave Harry Miller at guard. But, but the other thing that I think we kind of know too, is that, and I guess we knew this, that Paris Johnson's the right guard because he was talking about how he's next to Nicholas Petit Frere mm-hmm. and they're helping each other out. And it was very nice. I mean, like clearly those three guys, those three top tackles are have a good relationship. But Stephen, like I just thought the way that Paris and Nicholas Petit Frere sort of talked about each other, those guys were fighting for the right tackle job a year ago. 
Petit Frere won, and now Paris is going to be next to him at right guard, and it's just lovely. Yeah, for, I thought it was going to be left guard just because when he got thrown in there in Clemson, that's where they put him at at first until he had to go over to the other side when Wyatt Davis had his own injury problems. But, yeah, it's it's to speak of Wyatt Davis, Paris Johnson apparently was talking about it in some hey, how did you and Wyatt do things? And Nicholas petit Frere made the point to say, I'm telling him it's not about what Wyatt and I were doing anymore. It's about how we are going to build this relationship here. So it is – yeah, a year ago they were battling for a job, and now to see those two working together as literally the top two tackle, highest rated tackles that Ohio State has ever had here, are now working side by side to try to you know duplicate what Wyatt Davis and Nicholas Petit Frere were able to do last year, but in their own way. Josh Fryer seemingly has clearly emerged as the best of that group of kind of lower rated offensive linemen that they brought in, sort of in the transition. Um, his name has come up a lot. Nathan, when Sub was talking about it, he kept throwing in like, well, he's like, hey, we don't just have Dewan Jones and Paris Johnson who could also play tackle. Josh Fryer could too, right? And that he was talking about what an athlete he is, and that's what he liked about him so much when he was recruiting him. And he's definitely getting some action at guard, but he also sees him in the tackle mix. And it just it's Josh Fryer is a name to keep in mind for the future of that group of guys like sort of ranked in the six and seven and eight hundreds that they brought in a couple years ago. Yeah. The one thing I will say that it's tricky about the spring is it seems like every time we talk to an assistant coach, we hear, well, so-and-so looked good, but now he's out. That happened with Dewan Jones. Like they're definitely, they've been cycling through some injuries, cycling through illnesses and stuff like that. So Josh Fryer, I'm not trying to take anything away from him. He may just be one of the guys that stayed the healthiest this spring and that's helped him. But there does seem to be, as you said, like Stadrava was very complimentary of him from not just uh, hey, he's going out there and giving it a try, like that he's doing good things as a football player. And I think we saw last year, I mean, we talked so much about we get so wrapped up in those first five, but there's a reason Paris Johnson was getting guard reps in the playoff. It was because they had to go three, four deep at some of those interior spots to try to play a playoff game. So again, I think this depth is, is a positive thing. Even if you don't really hear about Josh Fryer again until they absolutely have to play him, I think there's more reason to have confidence that he can actually do something when they do put him on the field. There were four guys in that class, as you kind of mentioned, Grant Tutant, Josh Fryer, Jacob James, and Trey LaRue. And yes, he is obviously as the he was a number five hundred and ten player, number twenty-eight guard in that class has emerged. And when you that's what you uh, clearly we're trying to do there. You take a bunch of guys who might be developmental and maybe one of them hits if you're lucky at second one hits, but right now, I mean that's clearly working. One of them has hit and it's Josh Fryer. They mentioned James's name a few times, the guy who's been like third in the line for center snaps, especially with Miller out. They uh, trailer whose name got mentioned by someone again today. So I, I don't like to, to go overboard when a name gets thrown out there in the spring, because sometimes they are talking about the guy third or fourth down the line. But there's a reason they're mentioning those names and not other names. And there's a lot of names in that room that they could be mentioning. And in some cases, we are hearing the same guys come up over and over again, even if it's farther down the line. All right, we'll try to do a depth chart. We're going to come back and try to do a two deep for the offensive line as we imagine it at the moment here on Buckeye Talk. All right, quick little reset. You guys know this. Left tackle Thayer Munford. Let's assume left guard Matt Jones, center Harry Miller. That could be switched. Right guard Paris Johnson, right tackle Nicholas petit Frere. That's the offensive line we expect to see in Ohio State season opener. Who do we think, Nathan, and, and we'll take into account that, well, actually, Paris Johnson is the third tackle. If Thayer Munford or Nicholas petit Frere got hurt, they would definitely slide Paris Johnson to tackle, and then somebody would move in at guard. We'll state that for the record. If it was right tackle, 
are we sure that he would move over to right tackle? Yeah, because that would have been the case last year, too. I think if either Nicholas in a normal situation had Thayer Mumford or Nicholas Petit Pair went down, he'd have just slid into one of those two spots. I think it's probably true. I'm just less certain of it than I am if it was left tackle. Well, who do you think would be the right tackle if it wasn't him? You think um, they'd keep him at right guard and play? I think their sixth best offensive lineman is probably not one of the other tackles. No, it's, it's definitely a guard. So I think that's part of that it makes too. Sense. Yeah. So, so, all right, we'll stipulate to that. We'll stipulate to that. So let's, this is, this is then work. Okay. Who's going to be like the second team offensive lineman in warmups, right? When we go to the first game or who's, if they take the whole first team offensive line out because they're beating Minnesota by 50, who's the second team offensive line that they put in Nathan, who do you think the tackles are based on what we know and the way Greg Stujarawa talked today? I think it is probably Dewan Jones on the left side. And on the right side, I, I don't know that I have a great answer. I mean, last year it Max was Max Ray. Ray that was getting that opportunity. So his name hasn't come up much, but he's a redshirt junior. Um, that might be my inclination that he might – that might be him still right now. Josh Fryer in the mix also though, right? And Josh Again, Fryer, that, and Josh that's Fryer. the guy yeah. that like stud brought up as a, don't forget him as a tackle. So Steven, do you agree with that? That it'd be Dewan Jones probably at left side and either Ray or Fryer at right tackle. Yeah. I, 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 I just said Ray though, when I put it out, just cause I have Fryer somewhere else, but yeah. Okay. So who do we think the second team guards are right now? Assuming that right now, well, no, 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 in September, by the season, by the season, by the season, Steven, by the season, who were were your two guards, Josh Fryer on the left and Donovan Jackson on the right. So I think I, I think I, I think I agree with that. Cause I think that's the, they had Josh on the left when they put that little video of him rubbing his stomach. I think he was on the left cause yeah. So you think it's more possible. See, I just think, I know Ray played well last year in his time, but I just think it might be more like Fryer's at tackle and it would be like, Donovan Jackson and Enoch Vamahi at guard, right? That's Could possible be. too, right? Sure, sure. I wouldn't rule that out either. I mean, Vamahi is a pretty highly rated guy who's been around a little bit. He's This is his third year, right? Coming into Correct. his third year? So is Ray, though. I mean, Ray was 121 in his class. That's true. So it's, it's not like, you know, they got options, man. I, I, yeah, I mean, that is the thing. As, as, much as, <laughs> as much as we have kind of talked about offensive line recruiting being uh, – sketchy there for a while it does seem like they have a lot of like top 150 guys matt jones was like a top 75 guy like sometimes we think of it we forget about that middle with their offensive line sometimes because we remember the studs um the actual not jack strudrawa the actual studs and then we remember these like guys in the 600s but or 400s whatever but it's they get a decent chunk of those middle guys those 100 200 level guys so who's the center nathan harry miller's the center and, and he's the, the starting center. center. Starting we already did the center. start. We do that. You forgot what we were doing. It's the second team. Yeah. Well, I just second team center. I would say Luke Whipler. Is it Whipler or Wipler? Well, that's the thing. It's not Luke. Yeah. Whipler. It's Whipler. We thought it was Whipler, but the point was very clearly made. I almost asked about it, but I wanted to make sure that I wasn't just being a, a ding dong. But it was said Whipler multiple times today, like by the SID who was running the show with purpose. It felt like, right, that he was trying to make a point. Is that what you guys took away from that? Yes, yeah. yes, I think so, yeah. Because I thought it was Whipler the first time I saw it, and then I thought it was Whipler for a while. So, like, it's good to finally have that you know, figured out here. 
he got Luke Weipler got asked a question about like being from New Jersey that may as well have been like, hey, what turnpike exit do you live near? You're from New Jersey. Like one of those questions like, oh, you're a tough guy from New Jersey. Unlike these soft Midwest guys. I mean, my God, Josh Fryer's from Indiana. Could he be more of a wuss? But you're from New Jersey. And everybody who lives in New Jersey is in the Sopranos. It's like, what are you talking about? That's your question. So, like, if that's your question, I'm ready to write a thousand word story about how we've been mispronouncing his name for two years. That is far more interesting than any New Jersey. Oh, New Jersey. Is that on the other side of the Atlantic Ocean? How long does it take to get to New Jersey? Has Ohio State ever had a player from New Jersey before? God. It's better than with Davon Hamilton, where we got halfway through his senior year before we found out we were misspelling his name the whole time. Oh, yeah. They're so I feel so bad. It's like just we're wrong all the time. Just tell us that we're wrong. I was sorry. Yeah, that's what gets me, though. Somebody could have just sent us a text at any time and been like, hey, heard your podcast. You're mispronouncing that name. The thing is, the kids don't correct you either. When you talk to them, they just kind of roll with it. You can tell me I'm pronouncing your name wrong. It's okay. I want to say it right. People misspell my name all the time, and it, it, which is crazy. People do it in a text, even though I send texts where it says, hey, it's Steven. It's usually the first three letters, and then they re- they'll respond to it with a V. It's okay to, to correct people on that. My second job, there was a guy, when I worked in Delaware, there was a guy who was like the long, long time high school sports writer. And whenever he called like a high school player on the phone, to do an interview, his first question every time was, what is your height and weight? And you know what that meant? It meant that when he was done with his interview, he didn't forget to ask what the height and weight were. Because you know what people always want to know about athletes? What their height and weight is. And it was like, if you just started every interview, the first time you interviewed somebody and said, how do you say your name? It would probably be the best question you could ask. And so somehow in the uh, gazillion stories that Luke Weipler had written about him, we were saying his name wrong. So, and we think, I mean, assuming that's the situation I should have asked, because now we're talking about it and we don't actually know for a fact it was pronounced Weipler though today, but it's another example, like, like Nathan, you know, Greg Sudrawa told a story, like a work hard story about Luke Weipler. And it's like, he worked hard, but that's a big time recruit who, again, like talk about being blocked. It's like, well, Harry Miller's not going anywhere. And like, if you would have said a year ago, I think we might've predicted that Luke Weipler might have a chance to start either at guard or if Harry Miller stays at guard, he's at center. And then Matthew Jones was like, yo, wait, 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 wait. Don't give up on me. And people talked about that today, Nathan. They told us try a work hard story about Luke Weipler, but everybody was also talking about like, listen, Matt Jones, maybe his first couple of years wasn't great. And he's turned it on. And like, he's a dude now and he's going to start probably. I wish we'd gotten Matt Jones because he was and I was glad that we got we got four people today. That was nice. But I wish we'd gotten him because I had some I thought he would have been a good person to talk to about some of those things. But it really is. is Weipler's not blocked the same way. Like he's this is the path it's supposed to be on. Like he's if, if he wanted to play as a sophomore, he could have gone to Rutgers. He could have gone to Purdue. He could have gone to the Mac. He didn't. He came here. And that's why he, you, you register for one could, year. He probably could have gone to Penn State, frankly. Like, well, maybe. I mean, like yeah. he, he probably maybe. could have gone to Michigan. Right. 
but you came to Ohio State. You do the usual like redshirt thing as a freshman, which is very typical for offensive linemen. Then maybe you have to spend a year as an understudy, and then maybe that's when you get your chance in that third year. There's a there's a lot of like all American level offensive linemen who followed that same path, including the one that's in that room right now and Nicholas Petit Frere. So I don't think of him as a guy who is like being blocked or held back or anything right now. I just feel like he's you're hearing the right things about somebody that they think is going to still build into something special. It's just one of those positions where you kind of have to have a little bit more patience. Not that you like accept that you're not playing, but that you're realistic about what the physical challenges and, and realities of that position are and the, the realities of the talent that's in that room. I agree. And also he had to put some weight on. He was 285 when he got there. He's 300 pounds now. So there's that growth on it. I agree with that. But for the sake of, just having a conversation. If he was to, was blocked by anybody, it's Thayer Munford being here. Because if Thayer Munford's not here and Paris Johnson is now the left tackle, there's an opening at a starting left guard, starting guard spot right now. And then maybe he's on the same path as Harry Miller, where as a sophomore, he's a guard. And Harry Miller as a five-star who might be ready to leave after three years, that's when he takes over as a center. Thayer Munford's inspiring return for a fifth season. And all the lives he ruined. (laughs) And the (laughs) devastating chain reaction it caused. I just love it. I'm not being physical. I like it was great to see Thayer Munford just be so excited about what's going to happen this season. But it is another reality. We're just telling you the things that that happen all the time. But there are just some it's there are some things that are happening that are very clear. Okay, so then next year. Right. So Paris goes to tackle next year. But it's possible that like Harry Miller and Matt Jones are back. Yep. And Donovan Jackson might be like, it's time for me to start. And like Luke Weipler's like, what am I doing? Where is my, you know, that like, that's just the world, right? I mean, maybe, maybe Harry Miller and Matt Jones will go to the NFL, but like, if they don't, you would potentially have like those four inside guys, Jones, Miller, Weipler and Jackson for three spots. And I don't know that any of them can play tackle. And like, that's, that's the world, baby. Like that's that's where this is. This is what happens when you have like number two recruiting classes year after year after year. I think the line's in a good spot, Nathan. Like like in conclusion, I don't like to do a lot of in conclusions. This is my book report. In conclusion, the offensive line should be very good, and Buckeye fans should be excited about it. But like it's true, right? It's true. Yeah, I mean, my first year on this beat in 2019 when they encountered some you know, injuries and things on the offensive line, I felt like there was more of a kind of hold your breath a little bit. Not that they were going to, you know, Josh Allaby could come in and like play that role and whoever could come in and, and be that second level. You know, Nicholas Petit Fair came in and played fine against Northwestern for the most part, but you didn't have to get very far down that depth chart to where you started to have real concerns about whether that group of guys was ready to play big 10 football. And I don't think you go into this season thinking that about this offensive line at all. You go in thinking like, wait a second, they're not really talking about this guy. I thought just last year they were talking about this guy as being pretty good. And it's somebody who's maybe like third on the death chart, but you actually think they could be a pretty solid offensive lineman. So this, this could be, we always talk about it in terms of like, could Ohio State have one of the best offensive lines in the country? I would absolutely think they right now have to be among the deepest offensive lines in the country as far as just like proven talent. Two things. One, you know your your room is healthy when you're trying to throw people out and say, eh, maybe they're not going to be a starter. And you have to be reminded that also he was a top 120 recruit, just like the guy trying to replace him with is. And also, when your room is this deep of the second team we just named, basically Dewan Jones, Josh Fryer, Luke Whip, Weipler, Donovan Jackson, Max Ray. How many places could that be somebody st- 
starting offensive line in the Big Ten right now? Oh, yeah. And, and, what, and what would they be ranked? If you had to rank them, what were that? Obviously, if Ohio State's number one, where would that second unit be? Among offensive lines in the Big Ten? Now, listen, yeah. like it, was, it wouldn't be the offensive about, line at Wisconsin. I'm not, no, yeah, no, I'm not saying it's top three yeah. or even top Northwestern, four. Northwestern. Not at Iowa. but right. Iowa, probably even Michigan. But, like, it probably would be at Maryland. Probably would be at Nebraska. Probably would be at Purdue. Right? I mean, Nathan, mm-hmm. not the <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if, I said if, I said that earlier. Yeah, but I mean, like if that's if that's what we said, it's like, oh, who's Purdue starting offensive line? It's like, well, it's like four guys who were top 200 recruits and this wild card from the state of Indiana, who's like an incredible athlete who's learning his way at tackle, which is Dewan Jones. Purdue would be like, let's roll, baby. Yeah, I mean, go look at any of those teams you just named and how often they get players at any position that are in the national top 200, let alone four or five offensive linemen to have on their team at once. It's unheard of for some of those teams, the big 10. That's, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the dynamic of big 10 football. It's why I bring up things like Purdue to sometimes remind people of the world that they're living in here, that there's a separation. So I think, I think you're right. I think most, the majority of big 10 teams would trade their offensive line for that second string offensive line in a heartbeat. And I'm going to, now I'm going to cut and paste and I'm going to move this higher in the podcast because I already did the conclusion and I'm going to get my grade marked down. This is like a post. It's like a, it's like a PS. PS. It's a bibliography. (laughs) The bibliography is Dewan Jones at some point has to go from potential curiosity. Hey, to something, right? This is his third season. It doesn't have to be this fall, but it probably has to be next spring. And we did mention it, Nathan. It's like, we're all intrigued. We all think there's potential. He's come a long way. He was kind of raw as a football prospect when he got here. But at some point, if it doesn't flip, someone's going to pass you, right? And so, you know, next year, Munford and Petit Frere are gone. Paris Johnson's definitely one of the tackles. There would be a spot for Dewan Jones, but he probably also as a second team guy, and he's been a second team guy the past, he probably needs to show a little bit. And as Greg Sudrawa said, he's out at the moment. And, you know, it's not the end of the world, but it's also starting to be Dewan Jones' time at some point. He was, and Greg Sudrawa was also very complimentary of how Dewan Jones was playing before he encountered whatever injury he has this spring. So there's that. Mm-hmm. I, again, it's one of those guys, though, that look at where he came in as far as his recruiting rankings. I think if he wasn't just the behemoth size that he was, then I don't know that we would be thinking of him with as much urgency as we kind of are now. But because he was that size and that was so intriguing, and then because he did flash some things, I think from the time he got here, right? Like he turned some heads when he got here and people were like, oh, he's actually probably, I mean, we always, they thought he was a project, but maybe he's a little bit farther along. And then he has some nice moments on special teams and gets in and plays some second string minutes and has some, some nice blocks and they show him pumping his fist as he's running down the field and stuff. So he had some of those moments that I think accelerated in people's minds, how quickly he might be able to do something. So he's one of those other guys that I'm not super concerned about like how quickly he has to get there because I, they don't need him to start this year. He's got a whole nother year to develop. It's more like, is he ready next year when they might actually like really need him. He also just might be Josh Allaby 2.0 where he's just a really awesome six offensive lineman where if somebody's hurt, he comes in and the train just keeps moving because Josh Allaby was pretty solid when he was out there in 2019. 
Yeah, that could be that could be his destiny. I think like the upside, right? Like there's we've mm-hmm. had enough talk of the upside. And again, like I don't think I ever wrote it, but I talked to Greg Stradrawa, whatever, two bowl games ago, and he was talking about he thinks this guy could be a first round pick with the natural gifts he has, right? And so like you hear that, and it's like I kind of what what what's the phrase? I, not that I won. I mean, but I sort of think well, I think he's maybe more than like one of those guys who's a one year starter as a fifth year senior. I feel like maybe he's because sometimes those are like solid backup guys who never were quite good enough. But mm-hmm. when they're a fifth year, you know, whatever, Chase Ferris, Daryl Baldwin, and they did great jobs here. And Josh Allenby would sort of fit that. I thought at the at his upside, Dewan Jones had more upside than that. So I think it is about can he get to that point to maybe be that guy in 2022? Stadrama mentioned his weight. He's listed at 360 this spring. So he does keep like whittling off a little bit of weight as it goes along. But also remember, he's a junior this year. He played as a true freshman. He did not redshirt as a true freshman. So he's going into his third year, but he does still have that extra year in his back pocket too. So that's the other thing to not let our perspective get skewed on his timetable too. I mean, technically, he isn't just going into only having two years left. He may still have a full three years left to figure this out. I'm not doing that. I am not going to consider the possible sixth years of anybody. They can surprise me when it happens. No, there will only be five. There will only be five years for him. He didn't redshirt as a true freshman. Oh, he so he's not year, six year. He would still right. have last year in in tow. Yeah, yeah not six right. year, but just okay. just a, just a five year. So he would get to still have the five years that actually people probably projected from him from the beginning. Except yeah, he became kind of valuable on special teams, but it would just be kind of in a bass act. Okay, I, I refuse to do a six year. Can we be united on that? That I don't want to talk about. Well, if he goes back I'm for with a sixth you. year, yeah. Okay. No, I'm with you on that. Well, yeah, we'll reach that when we reach it. Yeah. You know, I mean, if he's here in 2025, he could really do something. Uh, okay. I think I think people should be enthused about this offensive line. And I think people are, but talking today, maybe even a little more enthused. Recruiting coming with the Buckeye Future Friday pod on Friday. We'll have a big weekend pod after that. And then like they're getting ready for the spring game, baby. So, um, and it also does sound like we may have a chance to watch a little more. At some point between now and the spring game, we don't know the specifics, but that idea was floated and wholeheartedly embraced by every member of the Ohio State Pete. So fingers crossed on that. Thanks to you guys for listening. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU and make sure you're listening to Buckeye Talk five days a week. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.